thanks to Acast for hosting and monetizing this podcast. With every CBD product claiming to do something different, it's nearly impossible to decide what's best for you. Lazarus Naturals pioneered the farm-to-front-door model of transparency where they handle each step of the production process to ensure quality, potency, and consistency. Scannable labels allow you to see the test results of your hemp batch so you can be confident in the safety and quality. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today. Lazarus Naturals, committed to improving your life as well as the world around you. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, snag a job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position, warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag a Job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snag a Job is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. Oh, hi, hello, and welcome to this, the second episode devoted to the ancient and oh-so-silly epic, the Batracomyomachia. I am that host of yours, Liv, and today, well, today I'm not only here to just read you this ancient mini-epic, but also to share more about the background and the very idea of ancient satirical epics, because, man, they are fun and interesting and not mentioned nearly enough outside of academia. It's a battle of frogs and mice. We should all be talking about this masterpiece of puns and tiny vegetable body armor. As I mentioned briefly on Tuesday's episode, the Batrachomyomachia was written... Well, who really knows when? Or by who? The mini-epic has been dated from as early as the Archaic period to as late as the 1st or 2nd centuries, either BCE or CE. It's often attributed to Homer, or at least named for him in the use of the term Homeric, but this is supremely unlikely, not least because Homer was almost certainly not a person named Homer, but a tradition of oral storytelling that was eventually written down and attributed to that name. 
I won't go into the nitty-gritty details on why there is such variations in dating this epic, but I've listed the wonderful sources that I've used in this episode's description if you want to know more. What I'm more interested in is the tradition of satire and parody broadly, and for this, I've been using some wonderful research done by August Koskowski. They had already done a load of research for another history podcast, and then that wasn't able to be used, so they came to me! Big thank you for that. I do love when the research is already done for me, and it certainly helps especially when it comes to historical aspects, because I love to hear what others find. My skills are really more in mythology. And there were so many writers of parody in the ancient world, and we know lots of examples of parodical, is that the right word, works, including more mini satirical epics like this one, though this is the only one that survives so intact. However, another famous writer of parody and satire is a man named Lucian. Oh, Lucian. Just you wait, because his most famous satire was one of the most incredibly over-the-top works of magnificent nonsense that I have ever read, and that is coming next month on the podcast. But Lucian wasn't parodying Homer in the way that the Batrachomyomachia is so explicitly. That's what makes this one different, and what makes it the only surviving example of this type of work. What makes it even more unique, too, is that while it is satire, like it is parody, what it isn't is actually making fun of Homer or Homeric epics. It's almost a love letter to Homeric epic, to the Iliad particularly, while simultaneously being about a battle between frogs and mice. It's silliness, it isn't derogatory, it's creative and fun and just plays with the ideas in the Iliad. The scenes of soldiers arming themselves are so iconic in the Iliad, and here we have this equally iconic, though much, much more adorable version. Even the crabs coming in to save the day at the end feels a lot like other moments of the Trojan War. Penthesilea and the Amazons, or Memnon coming in to save the Trojans. The role the gods play is both Homeric and also notably like very directed to mice. <laughs> Athena's not a fan. They've chewed through her shit. So she won't step in here in the way she did in the Iliad. But oh, do the gods discuss the battle and the outcome all the same? Of course, in the end, they do step in because what is a Homeric epic without divine intervention? Where the Batrachomyomachia feels like a love letter to Homer featuring mice and frogs, other satires that we know existed were more critical, more insulting. These would often take a work and quote it almost word for word, just changing a few words in famous lines in order to transform it into satire. They often had an antagonistic relationship to the work, and in fact there are some who interpret the ancient Greek word for parody, paroidia, as meaning against. Alternatively, there's also the type of parody being written by Aristophanes in his famous Frogs, where he's specifically referencing the work of Aeschylus and Euripides, writing over-the-top versions of their own writing styles in order to parody these famous tragedians. This feels to me a bit more like what this battle of frogs and mice is. Like, it's an exaggeration more than it is making fun of the original work. The Batrachomyomachia was part of a much bigger tradition of, very specifically, parodying Homeric works, namely the Iliad. While it's the only one that survives mostly intact, we do know of other specific examples of this type of parody. And so here I'm going to quote directly from August's awesome research and script about this, because they really summed up these other examples perfectly. So 
Here is August referencing these three specific examples, the Margites, the Kerkopes, and the Diliad. Margites, the hero of the parody of the same name, is incredibly stupid, to the point that he has no idea where his mother or his father gave birth to him. We know about the Margites both because of references to it in other authors' works and because the name Margites developed into an insult meaning fool. Their Kerkopes, on the other hand, was about a pair of very intelligent brothers who, according to legend, were turned into monkeys as punishment for their lying, cheating, and mischief. We have very few surviving fragments of the Kerkopes. Finally, we have the Diliad, which is completely lost. Based on the title, though, the central character was probably very cowardly, because Diliad is a pun on the Iliad and Delia, the Greek word for cowardice. Unfortunately, we don't know much of it, about anything of these parodies, but from what scholars have cobbled together from quotes and references, we know that writing a Homeric-style epic about a decidedly un-Homeric protagonist was a common way to parody Homer's works. Alright, that's the quote over. I just love so much that there were more works like this, that there were so many instances of epics written to like make fun of Homer or to just make a silly epic out of a more famous serious epic. Like, thank the gods at least one of these survives, and extra thanks to the gods as it's so fun and adorable because this battle of frogs and mice. Which, frankly, seems the perfect transition to just my reading of the work. On Tuesday, I referred to and quoted from A.E. Stallings' wonderfully fun translation that rhymes. So if you want to get a copy of this epic, I do highly recommend that one, partially because it also has preciously wonderful illustrations to go along with it. But today, I'm reading a much older translation because copyright. You will note this translation has different names for the mice because it's just tra different translations of like how or what the, the names actually mean, but I think you'll be able to make the, the necessary connections to who I talked about on Tuesday. So sit back and enjoy this rendition of the Batrachomyomachia, amphibians versus rodents with a dash of crustacean action. This is The Battle of Frogs and Mice, translated by Hugh Evelyn White. Here I begin, and first I pray the choir of the muses to come down from Helicon into my heart to aid the lay which I have newly written in tablets upon my knee. Fain would I sound in all men's ears that awful strife, that clamorous deed of war, and tell how the mice proved their valor on the frogs and rivaled the exploits of the giants, those earth-born men, as the tale was told among mortals. Thus did the war begin. One day a thirsty mouse who had escaped the ferret, dangerous foe, set his soft muzzle to the lake's brink and reveled in the sweet water. There a loud-voiced pond-larker spied him, and uttered such words as these, "'Stranger, who are you? Whence come you to this shore, and who is he who begot you?' 
Tell me all this truly, and let me not find you lying, for if I find you worthy to be my friend, I will take you to my house and give you many noble gifts, such as men give to their guests. I am King Puffjaw, and am honoured in all the pond, being ruler of the frogs continually. The father that brought me up was Mudman, who mated with Water Lady by the banks of Eridanus. I see, indeed, that you are well-looking and stouter than the ordinary, a sceptred king and a warrior in fight, but come, make haste and tell me your descent. Then Crumb Snatcher answered him and said, Why do you ask my race, which is well known amongst all, both men and gods and the birds of heaven? Crumb Snatcher am I called, and I am the son of Bread Nibbler. He was my stout-hearted father, and my mother was Quernlicker the daughter of Hamnar the king. She bare me in the mouse hole and nourished me with food, figs and nuts and dainties of all kinds. But how are you to make me your friend, who am altogether different in nature? For you get your living in the water, but I am used to eat such foods as men have. I never miss the thrice-kneaded loaf in its neat round basket, or the thin-wrapped cake full of sesame and cheese, or the slice of ham or liver vested in white fat, or cheese just curdled from sweet milk, or delicious honey cake which even the blessed gods long for, or any of all those cakes which cooks make for the feasts of mortal men, larding their pots and pans with spices of all kinds." In battle I have never flinched from the cruel onset, but plunged straight into the fray and fought among the foremost. I fear not man, though he has a big body, but run along his bed and bite the tip of his toe and nibble at his heel, and the man feels no hurt, and his sweet sleep is not broken by my biting. But there are two things I fear above all else in the world over, the hawk and the ferret, for those bring great grief on me, and the piteous trap wherein is treacherous death. Most of all I fear the ferret of the keener sort which follows you still even when you dive down into your hole. I gnaw no radishes and cabbages and pumpkins, nor feed on green leeks and parsley, for those are food for you who live in the lake. Then Puffjaw answered him with a smile. Stranger, you boast too much of belly matters. We, too, have many marvels to be seen both in the lake and on the shore. For the son of Kronos has given us frogs the power to lead a double life, dwelling at will in two separate elements, and so we both leap on land and plunge beneath the water. If you would learn of all these things, tis easy done. Just mount upon my back and hold me tight lest you be lost, and so you shall come rejoicing to my house. So said he, and offered his back, and the mouse mounted at once, putting his paws upon the other's sleek neck and vaulting nimbly. Now at first, while he still saw the land nearby, he was pleased and delighted with Puffjaw's swimming, but when dark waves began to wash over him, he wept loudly and blamed his unlucky change of mind. He tore his fur and tucked his paws in against his belly, while within him his heart quaked by reason of the strangeness, and he longed to get to land, groaning terribly through the stress of chilling fear. He put out his tail upon the water and worked it like a steering oar, and prayed to heaven that he might get to land. 
But when the dark waves washed over him, he cried aloud and said, Not in such wise did the bull bear on his back from the beloved load, when he brought Europa across the sea to Crete, as this frog carries me over the water to his house, raising his yellow back in the pale water. Then, suddenly, a water snake appeared, a horrid sight for both alike, and held his neck up right above the water. And when he saw it, Puffjaw dived at once, and never thought how helpless a friend he would leave perishing. But down to the bottom of the lake he went and escaped black death. But the mouse, so deserted at once, fell on his back in the water. He wrung his paws and squeaked in agony of death. Many times he sank beneath the water, and many times he rose up again, kicking. But he could not escape his doom, for his wet fur weighed him down heavily. Then, at the last, as he was dying, he uttered these words. Ah, Puffjaw, you shall not go unpunished for this treachery. You threw me a castaway off your body as from a rock, vile coward. On land you would not have been the better man, boxing or wrestling or running, but now you have tricked me and cast me into the water. Heaven has an avenging eye, and surely the host of mice will punish you and not let you escape. With these words, he breathed out his soul upon the water. With every CBD product claiming to do something different, it's nearly impossible to decide what's best for you. Lazarus Naturals pioneered the farm-to-front-door model of transparency where they handle each step of the production process to ensure quality, potency, and consistency. Scannable labels allow you to see the test results of your hemp batch so you can be confident in the safety and quality. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today. Lazarus Naturals, committed to improving your life as well as the world around you. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a Job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag a Job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring.
platter, as he sat upon the soft bank, saw Crumbsnatcher die. And, raising a dreadful cry, ran and told the mice, and when they heard of his fate, all the mice were seized with fierce anger, and bade their heralds summon the people to assemble towards dawn at the house of Bread Nibbler, the father of hapless Crumb Snatcher, who lay outstretched on the water, face up, a lifeless corpse, and no longer near the bank, poor wretch, but floating in the midst of the deep. And when the mice came in haste at dawn, Bread Nibbler stood up first, enraged at his son's death, and thus he spoke. Friends, even if I alone had suffered great wrong from the frogs, assuredly this is the first essay at mischief for you all. And now I am pitiable, for I have lost three sons. First the abhorred ferret seized and killed one of them, catching him outside the hole. Then ruthless men dragged another to his doom when by unheard-of arts they had contrived a wooden snare, a destroyer of mice, which they call a trap. There was a third whom I and his dear mother loved well, and him Puffjaws carried out into the deep and drowned. Come, then, and let us arm ourselves and go out against them when we have arrayed ourselves in rich, wrought arms. With such words he persuaded them all to gird themselves, and Ares, who has charge of war, equipped them. First they fastened on greaves and covered their shins with green bean pods broken into two parts, which they had gnawed out, standing over them all night. Their breastplates were of skin scratched on reeds, skillfully made from a ferret they had flayed. For shields each had the centerpiece of a lamp, and their spears were long needles all of bronze, the work of Ares, and the helmets upon their temples were peanut shells. So the mice armed themselves, but when the frogs were aware of it, they rose up out of the water and, coming together to one place, gathered a council of grievous war. And while they were asking whence the quarrel arose, and what the cause of this anger, a herald drew near, bearing a wand in his paws. Pot Visitor, the son of great-hearted Cheese Carver, he brought the grim message of war, speaking thus. "'Frogs, the mice have sent me with their threats against you, "'and bid you arm yourselves for war and battle, "'for they have seen Crumb Snatcher in the water, "'whom your king Puffjaw slew. "'Fight, then, as many of you are as warriors among the frogs.'" With these words he explained the matter, so when this blameless speech came to their ears, the proud frogs were disturbed in their hearts and began to blame Puffjaw. But he rose up and said, "'Friends, I killed no mouse, nor did I see one perishing. Surely he was drowned while playing by the lake and imitating the swimming of the frogs. And now these wretches blame me, who am guiltless? Come, then, let us take counsel how we may utterly destroy the wily mice. Moreover, I will tell you what I think to be the best.' Let us all gird on our armor and take out stand on the very brink of the lake, where the ground breaks down sheer. Then, when they come out and charge upon us, let each seize by the crest of the mouse who attacks him and cast them with their helmets into the lake. For so we shall drown these dry hobs in the water and merrily set up here a trophy of victory over the slaughtered mice. 
By this speech he persuaded them to arm themselves. They covered their shins with leaves of mallows, and had breastplates made of the fine green beet leaves, and cabbage leaves, skillfully fashioned, for shields. Each one was equipped with a long, pointed rush for a spear, and a smooth snail shells to cover their heads. Then they stood in close-locked ranks upon the high bank, waving their spears, and were filled, each of them, with courage. Now Zeus called the gods to starry heaven and showed them the martial throng and the stout warriors so many and so great, all bearing long spears, for they were as the host of the centaurs and the giants. Then he asked with a sly smile, Who of the deathless gods will help the frogs and who the mice? And he said to Athena, "'My daughter, will you go aid the mice? "'For they all frolic about your temple continually, "'delighting in the fat of sacrifice in all kinds of food.' "'So then,' said the son of Kronos, "'but Athena answered him, "'I would never go to help the mice when they are hard-pressed, "'for they have done me much mischief, "'spoiling my garlands and my lamps, too, to get the oil.' And this thing they have done vexes my heart exceedingly. They have eaten holes in my sacred robe, which I wove painfully spinning a fine woof on a fine warp and made it full of holes. And now the moneylender is at me and charges me interest, which is a bitter thing for immortals. For I borrowed to do my weaving and have nothing with which to repay. Yet even so, I will not help the frogs, for they are not considerable. Once, when I was returning early from war, I was very tired, and though I wanted to sleep, they would not let me even doze a little for their outcry. And so I lay sleepless with a headache until cock crow. No, gods, let us refrain from helping these hosts, or one of us may get wounded with a sharp spear, for they fight hand to hand, even if a god comes against them. Let us rather all amuse ourselves watching the fight from heaven. So said Athena, and the other gods agreed with her, and all went in a body to one place. Then gnats with great trumpets sounded the fell note of war, and Zeus the son of Kronos thundered from heaven, a sign of grievous battle. First, loud croaker wounded Lickman in the belly, right through the midriff, down fell he on his face and soiled his soft fur in the dust. He fell with a thud and his armor clashed about him. Next, Troglodyte shot at the son of Mudman and drove the strong spear deep into his breast. So he fell, and Black Death seized him and his spirit flitted forth from his mouth. Then Beatty struck Pot Visitor to the heart and killed him, and Bread Nibbler hit Loud Crier in the belly, so that he fell on his face and his spirit flitted forth from his limbs. Now when Pond Larker saw Loud Crier perishing, he struck in quickly and wounded Troglodyte in his soft neck with a rock like a millstone, so that darkness veiled his eyes. Thereat Ochimedes was seized with grief, and struck out with his sharp reed, and did not draw his spear back to him again, but felled his enemy there and then. And Lickman shot at him with a brick spear, and hit him unerringly in the midriff, and as he marked Cabbage Eater running away, he fell on the steep bank. Yet even so did not cease fighting, but smote that other, so that he fell and did not rise again." 
and the lake was dyed with red blood as he lay outstretched along the shore, pierced through the guts and shining flanks. Also he slew Cheese Eater on the very brink. But Reedy took to flight when he saw Ham Nibbler and fled, plunging into the lake and throwing away his shield. Then Blameless Pot Visitor killed Brewer, and Waterlarker killed the Lord Ham Nibbler, striking him on the head with a pebble, so that his brains flowed out at his nostrils and the earth was bespattered with blood. Faultless Muck Coucher sprang upon Lick Platter and killed him with his spear and brought darkness upon his eyes, and Leaky saw it and dragged Lick Platter by the foot, though he was dead, and choked him in the lake. But Crumb Snatcher was fighting to avenge his dead comrades and hit Leaky before he reached the land and he fell forward at the blow and his soul went down to Hades. And seeing this, the cabbage climber took a clod of mud and hurled it at the mouse, plastering all his forehead and nearly blinding him. Thereat, Crumb Snatcher was enraged and caught up in his strong hand a huge stone that lay upon the ground, a heavy burden for the soil. With that, he hit Cabbage Climber below the knee and splintered his whole right shin, hurling him on his back in the dust. But Croak Person kept him off, and rushing at the mouse in turn, hit him in the middle of the belly and drove the whole reed spear into him, and he drew the spear back to him with his strong hand. All his foe's bowels gushed out upon the ground, and when Troglodyte saw the deed as he was limping away from the fight on the riverbank, he shrank back sorely moved and leaped into a trench to escape sheer death. Then Bread Nibbler hit Puffjaw on the toes. He came up at the last from the lake and was greatly distressed. And when Leaky saw him fallen forward, but still half alive, he pressed through those who fought in front and hurled a sharp reed at him, but the point of the spear was stayed and did not break his shield. Then Noble Rufal, like Ares himself, struck his flawless headpiece made of four pots. He only among the frogs showed prowess in the throng, but when he saw the others rush at him, he did not stay to meet the stout-hearted hero, but dived down to the depths of the lake. Now there was one among the mice, Slice Snatcher, who excelled the rest, dear son of Gnar, the son of Blameless Breadstealer. He went to his house and bade his son take part in the war. This warrior threatened to destroy the race of frogs utterly, and splitting a chestnut husk into two parts along the joint, put the two hollow pieces as armor on his paws. Then straightway the frogs were dismayed and all rushed down to the lake, and he would have made good his boast, for he had great strength, had not the son of Kronos, the father of men and gods, been quick to mark the thing and pitied the frogs as they were perishing. He shook his head and uttered his word. Dear, dear, how fearful a deed do my eyes behold! Slice Snatcher makes no small panic rushing to and fro among the frogs by the lake. Let us then make all haste and send warlike Pallas or even Ares, for they will stop his fighting, strong though he is. So said the son of Kronos, but Hera answered him. 
Son of Kronos, neither the might of Athena nor of Ares can avail to deliver the frogs from utter destruction. Rather, come and let us all go to help them, or else let loose your weapon, the great and formidable titan-killer with which you killed Capaneus, that doughty man, and great Enceladus, and the wild tribes of giants. Aye, let it loose, for so the most valiant will be slain." So said Hera, and the son of Kronos cast a lurid thunderbolt. First he thundered and made great Olympus shake, and the cast, the thunderbolt, the awful weapon of Zeus, tossing it lightly forth. Thus he frightened them all, frogs and mice alike, hurling his bolt upon them. Yet even so the army of the mice did not relax, but hoped still more to destroy the brood of warrior frogs." Only the son of Kronos on Olympus pitied the frogs and then straightway sent them helpers. So there came suddenly warriors with mailed backs and curving claws, crooked beasts that walked sideways, nutcracker-jawed, shell-hided, bony they were, flat-backed with glistening shoulders and bandy legs and stretched arms and eyes that looked behind them. They had also eight legs and two feelers, persistent creatures who are called crabs. These nipped off the tails and paws and feet of the mice with their jaws, while spears only beat on them. Of these the mice were all afraid and no longer stood up to them, but turned and fled. Already the sun was set, and so came the end of the one-day war. Oh, nerds, this is so much fun. I have to admit, reading this translation, I can see how much better the Stallings translation is that I was working on earlier in the week, uh, because he, like, names another frog or another mouse crumb snatcher after the one has died, and then suddenly there's one in the war, and it's like, sir, continuity here. Like, it's a different name. Just transliterate it differently. Anyway, it's still very fun to listen to the whole thing, so I hope you all enjoyed it. I've just been on a kick of silly and weird ancient works lately, and it is really paying off in just sheer entertainment, particularly as I work to prepare all of these so far in advance so that I can be off in Greece. It really helps when the works are just silly and weird and like things I never thought I'd be reading. It's just so much fun to read all of them, both when it comes to researching and then reading them to you. I mean, it's a thrill. Much like my experience of the Alcestis, reading the Alcestis for the first time, ugh, or what's to come very soon, but what I've already recorded, <sighs> Lucian's True History, another very famous work of satire, though not so Homeric. Lucian's True History. Whew. Well, I won't give it away, but just know that there is ancient space travel and so much more. The ancients were fucking hilarious, and we should never forget that. Always remember the battle between the frogs and the mice, their tiny and cute armor, the frogs, crabs, saviors. Never forget. <laughs> For real, I typed that by accident before I realized I was accidentally fucking hilarious in the most punny of ways. So, we mice never forget. Okay, I'll stop now. It's just so much fun. I love ancient literature and puns and epics so damn much. 
Whew, let's talk about Miss Baby is written and produced by me, Liv Albert. Michaela Smith is the Hermes to my Olympians. She handles so many podcast-related things, just countless, particularly while I'm away. Michaela is an utter savior. When this airs, I will have an intern. Grace Roby is amazing. She hasn't started yet when I'm recording this, but I'm certain that she will be. Stephanie Foley handles transcribing and editing scripts for YouTube for greater accessibility. She is also infinitely helpful. The podcast is hosted and monetized by the fine people at Acast and their creator network. And again, special thanks today to August Guskowski, because they shared some incredible research on this topic, some of which I quoted earlier when I mentioned, and I am just so grateful to have had that help. Thank you all for listening. You're all the fucking best, and this is truly, deeply, so much fucking fun. Gods, I am Liv, and I really love this shit, you know? With every CBD product claiming to do something different, it's nearly impossible to decide what's best for you. Lazarus Naturals pioneered the farm-to-front-door model of transparency where they handle each step of the production process to ensure quality, potency, and consistency. Scannable labels allow you to see the test results of your hemp batch so you can be confident in the safety and quality. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today. Lazarus Naturals, committed to improving your life as well as the world around you. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a Job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag a Job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring.